This is a 980 CKNW podcast. 645, that means it's time to check in with Rick Forchuk. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. And we are starting with Pacific Rim Uprising. Yeah, this one, Jill, is a sequel to the 2013 movie that told the story of gigantic creatures coming to our planet through a rift in time and space at the bottom of our deepest oceans. This movie, uh, which will probably be number one at the box office when the numbers come out later today, was a big disappointment to me. I saw it as dramatically a a dumbed-down version of the original, uh, making it little more than a Transformers iteration without the detailed storyline. Guillermo del Toro wrote and directed the first one. He was busy doing The Shape of Water, for which he won Best Director and Best Picture, and this movie really suffered for it. Uh, Stephen S. DeKnight made his directorial debut here. Uh, DeKnight is primarily a maker of TV series such as Smallville and Daredevil, and his small thinking shows in every character and in every move in what's become a movie suited to the 12- to 16-year-old set, I think, uh, with a stale, seen-it-before storyline and endless pounding action that takes forever to resolve itself. John Boyega from Star Wars is the main character here, Jake Pentecost. His father, played by Idris Elba, was the principal in the original. Uh, Since the events of the first film, when the Jaegers, the giant fighting machines of the humans, beat out the invading kaiju, uh, Jaegers have fallen into disrepair, but surprise, the kaiju are back, and humanity is not ready. It's a warmed-over Transformers plot, and you can see every move coming in advance, and such dialogue as... We're only going to get one shot at this, so let's make it count, lends itself to the boredom that I felt. Too bad, Jill. Could have been a contender. Rating is 14A. It's really kid stuff. Pacific Rim Uprising. All right. Uh, Kid stuff indeed. Uh, Our next film also for the kids. It is, but it's real kid stuff. Uh, It's Sherlock Gnomes. And if it's true that kids will watch anything, then case in point is this inoffensive animated feature that's a follow-up to 2011's Gnomeo and Juliet, which once again features the voices of James McAvoy and Emily Blunt. Big changes in the gnome world as Gnomeo and his bride have now moved to London, close to royalty, where they are king and queen of the garden. In the background, though, Detective Sherlock Gnomes, voiced by Johnny Depp, is putting the finishing touches on the latest diabolical move by his archenemy Moriarty, who's been kidnapping gnomes with abandon. Thinking the game is up, Sherlock relaxes for a bit, only to learn that the gnomes are now missing from right under Gnomeo and Juliet's noses, so the case is back on. Uh, Kids will like it just fine, Jill, especially younger ones. As for adults, well, it's all about seeing it through the eyes of a child, isn't it? Uh, Rating is PG. That's Sherlock Gnomes. So not the uh, adult humor that we see in some of the animated films that goes right over the heads of kids? Yeah, it's not one of those where you see it on two levels. Not at all. It's uh, you got to be a child uh, or somebody who thinks like one. (laughs) All right. That is uh, Sherlock Gnomes. We also have Unsane. Unsane, not insane, but unsane. And Jill, this is a remarkably different film from director Steven Soderbergh. Uh, He did such movies as Aaron Brockovich, Ocean's Eleven, Twelve and Thirteen, Magic Mike, and Insomnia. This one will keep you guessing every step of the way. It's different because it was shot on an iPhone on a budget of about a million and a half dollars. Different because it takes British actress Clara Foy, she plays Queen Elizabeth in The Crown, and places her in a distinctly American role. And different because as an audience, we have no idea where this is going to land. Claire Foy is a woman named Sawyer Valentini, and we learn in the opening frames that she works in a bank where she's a very hard-nosed employee taking guff from no one. 
We see her on a date, which does not go well, and next she is in a mental hospital where she's interviewing and being interviewed, just, as she says, for somebody to talk to and for somebody to listen. A misunderstanding of the boilerplate forms that she fills out has her committed voluntarily for a 24-hour period. She cannot believe what's happening when her cell phone and all her personal possessions are taken. Soon, her 24-hour stay becomes a seven-day stay. And there's an undercurrent that this may be an insurance scam where patients are kept as long as they have coverage. Is Sawyer a misunderstood person, as she says, or is she something else? We get clues from both sides. And then she confronts what is her greatest fear. But is it real, or is it a function of a perceived mental illness? Now, the feeling of helplessness that she has, as do we as an audience, becomes more and more pronounced when it becomes clear that she's not getting out easily, if at all. The tension crackles, we struggle with who is sane and who is not, and even a small role by Matt Damon does nothing but to deepen the mystery behind this psychological thriller. It's rated 18A for violence and language, but for those who want a real quiet barn burner of a frightening movie, this one is full value. Jill, it's a good film that's unsane. Hmm. And do we know why they shot it on an iPhone? Well, Soderbergh is always an experimental kind of guy. So uh, uh, one of the people in the movie, and I can't say too much without giving away a major plot point, right. but one of the people in the movie was an actor and a person behind the Blair Witch Project, which if you remember that film, that was highly experimental and done with a handheld camera. I think Soderbergh has just taken this to the next level to say, look, uh, YouTube, people posting things, I can post a whole movie. Watch this. Very clever. Very well done. All right. That one is insane. Oh, what's happening over on Netflix. Uh, Netflix got a very good movie, The Hitman's Bodyguard. It's from 2017. Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson team up in what is an excellent thriller in which Michael Bryce, that's Reynolds' character, once the world's top bodyguard, hits the skids after a protection case goes badly wrong on his watch. He's left with doing low-end bodyguard work when he's assigned the task of getting a ruthless hitman, Darius Kincaid, played by Samuel L. Jackson, to the world court in The Hague to testify in the case of a ruthless dictator. Sounds easy enough, but soon everybody is after both of them. Great action, and it has a sense of humor. The rating is 14A. That's the hitman's bodyguard. All right, that's on Netflix. Uh, Crave has The Truth is in the Stars. Yeah, this one's from last year. William Shatner is probably the only person qualified to walk through this documentary uh, look at how Star Trek and its optimistic view of life changed science and technology in the years that followed the series' release in the mid-1960s. We'll hear from such interested observers as Jason Alexander, who's George Costanza from Seinfeld, Whoopi Goldberg, who was a regular on The Next Generation, uh, Canada's own Chris Hanfield, the first Canadian to command the International Space Station, uh, genius the late Stephen Hawking, and even David Suzuki, all of whom bring their own special look at how the enterprise and what it stood for changed our world today. The ratings PG, very good documentary. The truth is in the stars, Jill. All right, and going back a few years as well, they also have The White Queen. Yeah, this is a series from British television from 2013. It aired a few months later on the American cable network Stars. We're just getting it now. It's set during the years of the Wars of the Roses in England, beginning in the year 1464. The House of York and the House of Lancaster have been contesting the throne for nine years of war, and the women both behind the scenes and in front of them are the focus here. It's based on Philippa Gregory's series of novels, The Cousins' War. It was announced that there will be no season two, so for history buffs, you'll have to get all you can from this outing. It's a 14A rating, that's The White Queen, and that's on Crave TV. 
All right. And uh, we've been talking about this uh, on uh, the news. Uh, the Juno Awards, for people who are interested, uh, are taking place tonight. You bet. It's all about the music of Canada tonight. Joe from Rogers Arena, his hometown boy, Michael Bublé, is back in front of the lights and in front of the mic to host the big event. We'll see performances by Arcade Fire, Diana Krall, and Bare Naked Ladies, among others. And presenters will include super producer Bob Rock, Buffy St. Marie, and Jan Arden, to name but a few. A lot of artists of which to be proud, beginning at 7 this evening on CBC Television, Jill. All right, and you can't miss it. There's a lot of buzz around downtown with that happening. Uh, It's been like that uh, all weekend. Yeah, and you can't take the Georgia Viaduct either, right? (laughs) No, you can't. Not unless you're one of the uh, few invited to the red carpet. Exactly. (laughs) All right, thanks so much, Rick. We'll catch you next weekend. You bet. Thanks, Jill. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.